Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Well, we are in the second week, as Manuel mentioned, of our Eastertide series, and this season is an important season in the life of the church. It's an important season uh, because it is a celebration, an ongoing celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For some of you, Eastertide may be a new word, a new idea, but it really is this uh, ancient season of the year right after the resurrection where we celebrate the resurrection and its implications for 50 days up until Pentecost when the Spirit of God comes upon the first followers, and the early church. So what we are doing in these weeks of this series is we're looking at different resurrection encounters that Jesus had with various people and what we can learn about what he's seeking to do through those encounters. So today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 20. I'm going to be reading verses 11 through 18. I'll give you a moment to look that up. In whatever way you do so, you may remember a few weeks ago during Easter, our Easter message was based on John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. And uh, today we'll start uh, by looking at this encounter that Jesus has with Mary Magdalene in verses 11 through 18 of John chapter 20. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as I mentioned last weekend, we began our Eastertide series. We're calling it Arising. And during these several weeks, we are reflecting on ways we can live out the resurrection. That is, ways that we can live in the newness that began with Jesus' resurrection. Live in the power of his resurrection, or maybe say it this way, experience the inbreaking of the kingdom of God where the old and the dead and the corrupt within us gradually grows into the new and alive and good. If you're with us last Sunday, then you may remember that our running metaphor throughout this series is the marigold. And last Sunday, I sat right here And using this bowl with dirt in it and this little shovel and this pot, one of these pots, I planted a marigold uh, sitting here right in front of you, all the while admitting that I have a black thumb, a Voldemort thumb, if you will. Everything I touch dies. And so we went into this skeptically, but last Sunday I put a few seeds in the soil. 
This week I've watered those seeds. At times this week I read Emerson quotes to the seeds in hopes that they would grow and grow fast. I did my part to see something new begin in this uh, pot of soil in which I planted. And here is the result after week one. This incredible fruit that has been born out of this dirt. It must point to nothing less than I'm a holy guy. And so good things happen when I plant seeds. Or maybe I'm not telling the truth. Maybe this is actually week one's result. I don't know if you can see this. Let me describe it to you in play by play. It's a pot of dirt and nothing else. There's no sprout. There's no green little shoot. There's nothing but dirt that I'm looking at. I've tried everything. I read Emerson to it. I sprayed water on it. I put it actually under a heat lamp we have at home that makes these uh, spices grow like a weed. But as you can see so far, all I have is a pot of dirt. So the black thumb strikes again. Now, some of you sent me pictures this week of your marigold that you planted last Sunday. And you sent me pictures of a pot that looked very similar to this, but it had little green shoots coming up out of the dirt. And I know exactly what you're doing. You're taunting my black thumb with your green thumb. In fact, moments before we started today, I won't mention his name, but moments before we started, I got yet another picture of a pot with little green shoots coming out of it and all kinds of ridicule and harassment and put-downs from this individual who hopefully sees the time of prayer we just had to repent of his sin. I find it very hurtful that you continue to slam me for my inability to grow anything. So, you can't see it. But something I mentioned last week continues to be something I'm clinging to. That even though I can't see it, something is happening underneath the dirt. At least I hope it is, or this metaphor is going to crash and burn bigly. So even though I can't see it, I continue to believe something is happening beneath the surface. The spiritual growth process, as we talked about last week, does not happen instantly. It's not an on-off switch. We don't go from here to there, wherever here is, wherever there is. We don't go there overnight. And today we are considering a specific aspect of life, familiar, I'm quite sure, to every one of us, where the risen Christ wants to bring his transforming resurrection power. And here it is. He wants to transform the pain of our losses into hope in God and in God's ongoing purposes For our lives. He wants to move us, in other words, from the paralysis of our pain toward the freedom of hope. He wants to bring healing into the deep places within us that hurt. Loss is inevitable in this life. It comes in all sorts of shapes. It comes in all sorts of sizes. Some losses are really big and really hard. Some losses aren't so big and maybe not as difficult. The point of today's message is to identify one of our losses, one that maybe you're dealing with these days, and the pain you are carrying related to the loss. 
and through the transforming power of King Jesus at work within us, our hope and our prayer today is that we will move gradually toward hope, that the pain that we have, the loss that we experienced, will be transformed ever so gradually into hope. Loss is a big part of life in these days of pandemic. In our family, next month alone, in the month of May, our youngest child lost her college graduation ceremony, our middle child lost her law school graduation ceremony, and our son and his fiance lost their wedding ceremony. And losses like these, while not even close to the catastrophes many people are experiencing, they leave a mark. I can see the mark and hear the mark in my children as they reflect upon what may is not going to be. And Julie and I feel these losses as well. We can try and downplay and minimize loss, but loss, whatever its magnitude, it impacts us. And sometimes it stirs up emotion. It's as though we feel the brokenness of the world through our losses. We know the world is broken, but we feel its brokenness more deeply through our losses. And sometimes the effects of a loss can mark us for a very long time. Sometimes the effects of a loss can mark us for a lifetime. Our losses, no matter how long ago they may have occurred, can profoundly shape how we relate to other people and how we engage in life right now today. We may have experienced a loss 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and yet if we're authentic about it, even today, that loss continues to shape how we relate to others and how we engage in life. The death of a loved one, a friend, a close friend who has moved away, a parent who did not speak into our lives during our formative years, a divorce that has happened, a coach who one way or another crushed our soul, the loss of our health or the loss of the health of someone we love, the loss of a job, the loss of a dream, or maybe the realization, the the growing, creeping realization that life is not what we had hoped it would be, and therein lies a loss. When you hear the word loss, I imagine something fairly quickly pops into your mind. What pain from what specific loss still stings and influences how you do life and relationships? Well, today I want to proclaim that the risen Jesus offers us hope in these losses. The loss is not the last sentence of our story. Because when Jesus rose from the grave, he demonstrated his power over the biggest obstacle and the strongest enemy, death. He demonstrated that his resurrection quite literally marked the beginning of a whole new world. A world where King Jesus is actively involved in the business of renewal and restoration and healing. A world where Jesus is resurrecting hope out of the ashes of our pain. He said to his disciples before his crucifixion in John chapter 15, You will grieve but your grief will turn to joy. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. And here's the thing. They had absolutely no idea what in the world 
he was talking about. But he was talking about the hope his resurrection would infuse into their souls. Mary Magdalene was an amazing woman. Very little is known about her, uh, though all sorts of things have been mistakenly speculated about her down through the centuries. Luke chapter 8 tells us she was a woman who was tormented by seven demons. And here's the thing. We don't know what that meant. We don't know what it looked like to be tormented by seven demons. And just letting our minds wander off and start imagining what that could have looked like probably isn't helpful. At a minimum, we could say she was tormented in her thoughts. Could have been something psychological. She might have suffered from anxiety or depression or hallucinations or multiple personality disorder. Whatever it was, let's put it this way. I think Mary Magdalene was more like us than not. Her struggles may have been more obvious, but I don't think they were unique. Perhaps we just hide a little bit better. So let's say she was inwardly burdened. She had a weight within her, a kind of torment. Her thoughts would run away from her and it would slowly eat away at her. Well, one day Jesus set her free from all this. One day Jesus healed her. And from then on, she followed him. She was his disciple. When he died on the cross, 11 of his 12 male disciples were scared to death and they abandoned him. And they were nowhere to be found. But Mary Magdalene stood at the foot of the cross and she watched her beloved Jesus die. A few days later, she was the first one to go to his grave. And she discovered the tomb was empty. And this might not seem like much to us, but in the first century, a woman playing a central role in such a history-altering drama was absolutely unthinkable. And yet, how typical of God to use surprising and unlikely means to accomplish his purposes. Well, in our scripture reading, Mary is crying outside the tomb. Loss. There's a picture of it right there. She's sobbing outside the tomb. Loss. Authentic sadness. No faking. Her rescuer, her healer, is dead. And with the loss of Jesus, the loss of hope that he might be the one all of Israel had waited for for centuries. We kind of feel her loss and her weakened hope. As she was crying, she ventured into the tomb and two angels, we are told, appeared and asked why she was crying. And she responds and says, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have put him. And here's what I want us to notice. She's not thinking resurrection any more than we would have thought resurrection. She's just being authentic and real, wondering where is his body. Mary then turns around and Jesus is standing there, but she doesn't realize it is Jesus. And he asks her the same question. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? She assumed Jesus was the landscaper and asks if he knows where the body is. Little sidebar. Whatever Jesus' post-resurrection body looked like, he didn't look like a ghost. He looked like a gardener, we're told, in the Gospel of John. He looked like a real person with a real body. He wasn't a hologram. He didn't look like E.T. He had a body, and it very much looked like a body 
from this world. And then we come to verse 16. And it says, Jesus said to her, Mary. And Mary instantly recognizes the way he said her name. And she cries out, teacher. Now, can you just imagine that moment for a second? One word, a single word, her name. Think about that. She's absolutely devastated by a loss. We've all been there. And some of us may be there now. She's hurting. She's suffering is the word we would use. We've all been there. Her mind is running wild with fear and pain. I've been there. In the midst of loss, my thoughts can go galloping like wild horses. And I'm standing there holding a three-foot piece of string powerless to rein these thoughts in. In these times of loss, some of you may, re- may know this, the enemy can be the self. The attacks come from within. Love your enemy becomes a call to love yourself. And if you don't know what I mean, don't spend any time trying to sort it out. If you do know what I mean, then know you are not alone. Mary's hope is crushed as she stands there at the tomb. And we get this. Anyone who is authentic at all about life and about God and about pain knows deep in their soul that there are times when our faith does not ignite hope. And faking it doesn't help. The tough circumstances seem more real than the supposedly good and loving God we read about And we're told about, let's just say it, life in those times sucks. And no Bible verse and no prayer seems to help. I've been in that spot. I suspect some of you have as well. And I know some of you are there right now. But then Mary hears her name. And she didn't just hear with her ears. She heard with her soul. She heard with her heart. What a beautiful scene. The resurrected Jesus speaking to a grieving woman who has run out of hope. And he lifts her from the burden of her loss and he resurrects her hope. One of the problems with a message about hope is that it can sound similar to hype. One letter differentiates the words. And it is really easy to talk about hope in a way that is disconnected from the authentic hardships of this life. And maybe more importantly, disconnected from the effects of those hardships on our actual thoughts and feelings and inner vows made to protect ourselves from ever experiencing those hardships again. When loss happens, it has a way of setting off a chain reaction in our inner world of thoughts and feelings and resolutions and promises and protective measures. And again, you may know what I mean. So it is easy to talk about hope in a way that is fake. It's a platitude. This little pithy slogan. Slap on a Bible verse to lighten the pain. And few will dare argue with the importance of the Bible or with the importance of prayer in the midst of our pain. But maybe in the quietness of our own skeptical thoughts, in places we rarely let anybody else in, we wonder in those dark times, is hope in God really legitimate? 
Or is this just kind of a game we're playing? Is God actually with me? Does he actually care? Is he really good? Or is hope just soul Advil that reduces the inflammation caused by loss for maybe a few hours or days or months? Think about it. Let's just say it. Hope, in a biblical sense, in a Christian sense, cannot mean life will get better because sometimes it doesn't. Hope, in a biblical sense, in a Christian sense, cannot mean circumstances will improve because sometimes they don't. I've been doing this pastor thing for 29 years, and one thing has been clear for all 29. This life can be hard, pain is real, and hope can be elusive no matter how strong one's faith might be. Hope, in a biblical and Christian sense, cannot mean life is going to get better because sometimes it doesn't get better. And hope in a biblical and Christian sense cannot mean circumstances are sure to improve because sometimes they don't improve. Biblical hope, then, is a confident expectation that somehow God will bring forth good in the future. Somehow God will use the pain and the broken pieces to bring forth renewal and restoration within us first. And the details of how is that going to happen, or when is that going to happen, or what exactly is going to happen, those all are entrusted to him. So biblical hope is confident expectation that somehow God is going to bring forth good in the future. A few years ago, I witnessed what I think is, uh, was and is the greatest display of hope I have ever seen. And I imagine it is the greatest display of hope I ever will see. I was in the home of a woman who lived in a slum in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Now, this was not a home like anything we think of when we hear the word home. Garage is closer, but still way too extravagant. This woman lived in a cement room with nothing. One of her sons, as I recall, was dead or in prison. Another was drowning in a world of drugs and violence. She was sitting on a couch that most of us would not keep for our cat. And on her wall, right in front of her, where she sat, hung a small memento she had received years earlier from a women's ministry group here in America. They had made these things and sent them over to various people, and she got one of them, and it was about this tall and about that wide, and it was hanging on the wall right in front of her, and it had some verse on it about hope and about God. And most of us, had we gotten something like that, most of us would either have put it in a part of our house where few would ever see it, or more likely, most of us would have kept it for a week just to be nice and then tossed it. Through tears, she sat on this couch, and she talked about the hope she found in that little memento. It reminded her, as she said, that God was with her and he was watching over her and someday his goodness was going to break through. And she just talked about how she trusted him and she kept on going 
to live the next day with hope in God. And I got to tell you, I had no place to put that experience then. And I have no place to put that experience now. I have no way to fit that into my life or into my system. She was a living example of Psalm 42.11 that says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. And she was the incarnation of that verse. So back in our story from John chapter 20, Mary realized it was Jesus, and she falls down at His feet, and apparently reaches her arms out and grabs onto him. And Jesus says these interesting words, helpful words, I think, for those who are gasping and grasping for hope themselves. He says to her, do not hold on to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. It's as though he's saying, Mary, it's not the same as it was before. The world is now different than it was before I rose from the grave. I am not just your teacher, Mary, and your friend, and your Lord. Now, because I've risen from the dead, and because I'm going to ascend back to the Father, I am the teacher, and the friend, and the Lord. In other words, I am king over everything. Your king, yes. But I am king now over everything. So what is hope for the Christ follower? Not hope life will get better, even though it might. Not hope life will all work out, though maybe it will. It is hope that Jesus is king and he is in the process of making all things new and right and good. And whatever is happening right now in the details of our particular circumstances, Jesus is actually present and he's bringing forth His good purpose, even out of the ashes of our loss. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. From Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. A brilliant scholar named N.T. Wright puts it all this way. And it's in your app if you want to follow along. He writes, the whole point of what Jesus was up to was that he was doing close up in the present what he was promising long term in the future. 
And what he was promising for that future and doing in that present was not saving souls for a disembodied eternity, but rescuing people from the corruption and decay of the way the world presently is so they could enjoy already in the present that renewal of creation, which is God's ultimate purpose, and so they could thus become colleagues and partners in that larger project. I hope that does something to your soul, just to hear those words. What is hope for the Christian? It is the hope that Jesus, our resurrected King, is engaged in the ongoing process of rescuing us from the corruption and decay of the way the world presently is, so we can enjoy, right now, the renewal of creation, which is God's ultimate purpose. Our hope then is that he is forming and shaping us into the people we were originally designed to be, to be fully who God intended for us to be, to live an eternal quality of life right now and then forever. And he works in the midst of our losses to do some of his, some of this shaping and forming work. Why are you crying Mary, the answer to that question is a thousandfold. Why are you crying? Why are you hurting? Where's the wound? Where's the loss? Where did you get hurt? Where did that hurt shape you to be who you are today? The answers are a thousandfold. We know that. But Jesus Christ, our resurrected King, is at work in the midst of those losses to form and shape us into the people we were originally designed to be. People who live an eternal quality of life right now and then forever. As it says in Romans 8 and verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You catch that? The firstborn among many brothers and sisters who are like him. See, this lifts our head off of what is right in front of us today's circumstances, and puts our eyes onto what ultimately matters, God's larger purpose for us. King Jesus is working to conform us into his image. So we are growing to be more like him. He's preparing us, we might say, to be the kind of people who want to spend eternity with him. And he works even in our losses, even in our sufferings, to bring forth this new life out of the ashes of our struggles. So maybe to try to whittle all this down to something really simple, perhaps hope comes down to hearing the tender voice of Jesus calling our name right in the midst of our hardship. Just one word. And that one word is our name coming from our King. And when we hear the Lord and King and friend and Savior call our name, hope rises. 
So maybe today, the tender voice of Jesus is calling out the name Teresa. Dora. Ginger. Joe. Christine. Patrick. Angela. Sabrina. Michael. Jill. Ashley. Amy. Bill. Dave. Kyle. Real people. How about your name? A real person. How about my name? Mike. The tender voice of Jesus calling our name. And just the sound of our name coming from the resurrected King. I hope today makes hope arise within us. Would you bow your heads? Lord Jesus, you are our resurrected King. And scattered as we are, isolated as we are, separated as we are, the fact remains, there are people who are watching this today whose hearts are hurting like they did long before this virus happened. Their loss and their heartache has not taken a break because of this virus. This is reality. This is what the truth is. When human beings who are flawed and broken live in a world that is flawed and broken. And so resurrected Jesus, we are before you in these moments with our losses. With those dreams that will not be realized. with those relationships that will no longer be part of our lives. We're here with the disappointment of not having a graduation, not having a wedding ceremony. And we bring all this to you because you invite raw authenticity. Meet us in these days. Meet us at the point of our loss. And remind us that our hope is in you. 